years ago, I was, in a, I was doing evangelism in Montclair in, in front of a, um, the abortion mill on Bloomfield Avenue called the Pilgrim's Medical Center, if I'm not wrong. And um, you know what? There was on Saturday morning, and I remember that there was a priest there. And somehow we started a conversation. I don't remember if I started a conversation, he started a conversation. But I remember how the conversation end, ended. <laughs> and basically the conversation with the priest ended when we started talking about the Reformation and Martin Luther. He's... <laughs> uh, uh, um, Ended, ended in a very abrupt way. <laughs> um, um, we, treat, we treat each other with respect, but <laughs> cleared our paths. Uh, we disagree in, when we talk about the reasons for the Reformation and our views on the Reformation. So, um, and then we think about this, this topic tonight. The Reformation comes to mind. Um, Specifically to reformers, Martin Luther and, and Calvin, right? Even though these reformers and others started the Reformation almost incidentally in the 15th century, it is worth saying that these reformers stood in the shoulders of other theologians who centuries before preached and thought about salvation um, by grace through faith. And one of these giants of the past is Augustine. Luther himself has said, and no one, no other theologian influenced him, influenced him more than Augustine. Augustine was born in 354, and he died in 430. And, and he was the church bishop in Hippo in North Africa. In the core of Augustine's theology lies in the supremacy of God in salvation, the human's sole dependency on grace. Now think about this. We're, we're talking about the 4th century. And then when we're trying to make a connection with the 16th century, the Reformation. Right? It was first Augustine in his work entitled On the Predestination of the Saints affirm what the later reformers would call unconditional election and irresistible grace. According to Augustine and the reformers, the doctrine of salvation by grace it is, is irresistible because God draws us to Him. And because we're dead in our sins and cannot do anything to change our spiritual condition, Salvation is God's unmerited favor towards us. This was one of the cries of the Reformation. Salvation depends on God and rests on faith, not personal merits. And once Luther started teaching and preaching this doctrine, it spread like wildfire in the dry grounds of medieval church. It was contagious. And look what you have in your hand now. Look what Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now this leads us to discuss 
you, our first, um, your first heading tonight, which is a false thinking about earning favor with God through works. False thinking about earning favor with God through works. Among other things that the Reformers fiercely opposed was the Aronians' view that salvation is synergetic. The idea that God and human beings cooperate in some way to produce salvation. A view that continues to be disseminated by the Roman Catholic Church. Even though Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church agree on some doctrines, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, the deity and humanity of Jesus. We disagree on many other central doctrines, such as the sole authority of the Scriptures, apart from tradition and the doctrine of salvation. The Roman Catholic Church believes salvation is by faith plus the sacraments. And in that regeneration and justification come through baptism. Something the Reformers rejected. And look what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These verses plainly and clearly tells us the salvation that we have, that we have been saved through faith. It is, it is God's gracious act on our behalf. This is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Gift is a gift. It doesn't, you give someone a gift, there's no relation to merit. And based on this passage and others, the reformers thought that salvation is by faith alone as a result of divine action in which God declares us righteous, justified before Him apart from human help. And baptism is indeed for those who believe in the gospel of Christ. However, by no means can purify sinners from sin. And uh, the observance of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, cannot earn us merit before God or contribute to our salvation. Even though the idea of faith and good works are seen and often misinterpreted in the scriptures, especially when we, we, we think about James chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, what we believe as the result of the Reformation is that salvation is by faith. There is no works related to our salvation. It depends on God. It rests on God. He is the one that initiates. He is the one that finishes. He, he is the one that brings it on. All the way through. So look at James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. It can be very confusing in the English translation, this passage. And this text has been used to defend the idea that salvation is the work of God in cooperation with us. Something that I already said to you that the reformers in the scriptures clearly shows that this is a gift of God apart from our own doing. We are only the recipients of grace or the receivers of this gift called grace. Therefore, salvation is by faith and good deeds, according to some. And this interpretation produces legalism. Dependence and, and, and legalism is dependence on our efforts to please God. Legalism leads us to believe that our own good works cannot, can earn us merit before God. And I have put some, uh, some definitions in your handout to, to help us to understand these things better. On the other hand, to believe that we are justified by a kind of faith that produces no work, or no works, is to embrace the heresy of, of anti, antinomianism. Antinomianism teaches that because God's grace is greater than all of our sins, we are no longer under any obligation to obey God's Law, something that, that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 6. A clear distinction must be made between faith and good works, but never separated. And the Reformed formula that counterattacks legalism and antinomianism is we are justified by faith alone, not by a faith that is alone. You see that? You see how works is part of the newborn being in Christ, but never can give him a more favor before God. Never. It never was and never will be. It is a result of this internal work of the Spirit in our hearts. Even though our good works add no merit to our salvation, if good works do not follow from our profession of faith, this is a clear indication that we have not been saved. If there is no changing in our lives, this is a clear indication that our profession of faith is merely intellectual understanding of faith. But it never took root in our hearts. I found it interesting when Sinclair, Sinclair Ferguson points out that in his pastoral experience, when people are convicted of legalism, they try to add a little bit of antinomianism <laughs> to help them better understand or to balance their faith. On the other hand, when people are convicted of antinomianism, they add a little bit of legalism. When in reality, we should not seek to balance the two because both are false teaching, are heresies. You're not trying to balance legalism with some sort of cheap grace. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to live by grace alone, faith alone. Rather, 
understanding that we are not only saved by grace, but to live in faith means to live by a continual outpouring of grace upon grace. It means that we are utterly dependent on this grace on a daily basis to do good works that glorifies God. And that's one of the points that I want to make tonight with you. Our continual dependence on grace. We not only start on grace, but we live by grace. Everything we do is by grace. Your prayers that we pray tonight, as we sing songs, is all about grace. We have no... We would not be here if it was not by grace. And because God is sovereign, the supreme ruler of all the earth, is not only the author of salvation, but also the one who initiates our salvation. He's the one that started this work in us. And this leads us to our second heading in, uh, you have in your handout, God's initiative in salvation. Now I'm going to share some scriptures with you tonight in the second heading. And the first one is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 6, that our sister just read a few minutes ago. And it's worth, it is worth to read again. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been Saved. Notice that I highlight some verses, some words, especially in verse 4. When Paul breaks through and says like, But God, you were dead. You have no life on your own. You were lost. You were just following everybody else. You were just walking with the crowd. But God pulled you out. But God reached you and brought you to life. And this is the work of His grace. God, out of His abundant love and mercy, broke through the arid and dryness of our hearts by pouring out His grace and giving us eternal life. God's initiative in calling individuals can also be seen in the Old Testament. First and foremost in Abraham's life, and I'm going to use him as an illustration. Until the end of chapter 11... In the beginning of chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, Abraham is not present in the narrative. He's an obscure figure. No one knows about him until chapter, the end of chapter 11. However, from Genesis 12 onward, he comes to the forefront of the narrative as God calls him to himself and promises to make his descendants a great nation and to be their God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 and 8, 
Moses reminded the Israelites that God chose and called them to himself. And what, he, what Moses has in mind here is Abraham's call and the promise that God has given to him. Because remember, when we're talking about the Pentateuch, this is a one unity. We have different books, but it's one unity. Talking about this overall work of God in calling Abraham and saving his people in, 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 in this plan of salvation. Look what Deuteronomy chapter... 7 verse 6 and 8 says For you are a people for you are a people holy to the Lord your God The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth It was not because you were more in number than, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you For you are the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. You see? His connection with this this promise is given to Abraham. And even before that, when we think about Genesis chapter 3, we just see this continuation. Clearly we see in the Old Testament God's gracious attitude in drawing people to Himself. And then in the New Testament, we see God calling people to Himself through the person of Jesus Christ, through His Son. And look what Jesus says in in John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we see this Work of God clearly illustrated in the calling of the first disciples, especially the calling of Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Remember his calling? Jesus came to where he was working. He looked at him while he was sitting at the, ta- at the, booth, uh, at the tax booth and said the magical words, follow me. And Matthew immediately followed him. So, just a, let's open a little parenthesis here. When we think about John chapter 1, when John says that Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God in the beginning, and when he says to Matthew, followed me, we see the Word of life in action. With just two words, it says, follow me in this man stopped everything he was doing, and immediately follow Jesus. See the word of life in action. God does not initiate our salvation and leave, leave, leave it up to us to complete this work. No. He finishes. He completes what he started. And I'm not discarding our obedience to Him. Obedience is important in our Christian walk. But but we, we must say that obedience is the result of being saved, not the cause of it. God is. His grace. His act of calling us from death to life. 
And there's some other scripture references that you can follow in your handout if you want to, to dive um, deeper in this, um, in this subject. Um, but because of time, I want to... I want to jump into the heading number three, where we see the basic definition of grace. The basic definition of grace, which is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Now, a survey in the scriptures about the word grace show us over 150 occurrences in the Old and New Testament, at least in the ESV translation. 150, right? A relatively few occurrences when we consider that the concept of grace permeates the entire Bible. Something similar could be said about the word Trinity that cannot be found in the Scriptures. Even though the doctrine of the the Trinity can clearly be seen from Genesis to Revelation... And the same is true about the doctrine of grace. We see that this topic from, from the, right after Adam and Eve, they sinned. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. And his, out of His grace, God covered them with lamb's skin. So since the beginning, we see God's grace in covering for His people, even though they do not deserve any favor from Him. And thinking about this doctrine of grace, it was Augustine in the 4th century that first expelled the doctrine of salvation by grace. We give so much credit to the Reformers, but when we study a little bit more, we see the others before them taught and preached and even died because of this doctrine. But like I said, it was through the reformers that this doctrine was widely disseminated. And I have a quotation from Carl Truman in his book about grace alone that I think is very helpful. Grace permeates the scriptures as one of the most important teachings about God and His relationship to His creation. Grace is the base on which God relates to His creature, to us. One interesting thing that the Reformers made clear in their teachings is to they differentiate between what they call common and special grace. Common and special grace. The word common indicates something common to all people and it is not restricted to believers only. Common grace refers to God's unmerited favor towards the fallen creation in restraining evil and giving innumerable blessings that allow them to flourish. God gives us wisdom and, and skills to develop technology to help us to live better and, 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 and medicine and allows and bringing rain and allows the earth to produce food 
This is common grace to all people, not only to believers. Special grace refers to God's unmerited salvific favor in which He brings people to salvation through Christ's work. Common grace restrains evil and is for all people, but cannot change hearts or save. While special grace relates to the power of God in giving us a new heart and faith to believe, that's what we are focusing on. On tonight, and this is special grace. I just put in explaining and, and bringing this thing so that we can see a little bit more deeper what we are talking when we talk about grace, right? And, and, and how the reformers differentiate between common grace and special grace. Right. And look what Spurgeon said in, seven, in the 18th century. In, in, in regards of this doctrine of salvation by faith, if any man be saved, he is saved by divine grace and by divine grace alone. The reason of his salvation is not to be found in him, but in God. We are not saved as, as the result of anything that we do or that we will but we will and do as the result of God's good pleasure and the work of His grace in our hearts. You see, he's just summarized what we were talking about, how, we, how God's working in us and changing and transforming our hearts and His grace is at work in us, allows us to do good deeds and to honor His name and giving Him glory with our lives. Friends, the truth is that this is not new for us, but grace is at the heart of the gospel. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. And with this, I want to move to the heading number four, the grace of God in the gospel. The grace of God in the gospel. And you said the subheading, like the golden chain of redemption or the golden chain of salvation. And look what Romans chapter 8, verses 29-30 says in regard to this chain of redemption. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also Glorify. The golden chain of salvation talks about the in, inviolable order in which our Creator saves His people. This passage, unlike any other, emphasizes what we already talked about that salvation is the work of God. It starts with Him. It is an unbroken chain. Because it starts with Him and we are the recipients of that. And no one can break this chain. And of course, this verse is introduced to us five great doctrines. Before knowledge, predestination, effectual calling, justification, and glorification. Some of these doctrines we'll be talking about and discussing in the future, two weeks from now. Suffice to say that some 
that this verse is talking about something God did in the past that guarantees our redemption. Even before we receive this gift, is a sure gift of grace that once we believe in the testimony of Jesus and we are saved, this work cannot be undone. This chain cannot be broken. Again, look what Augustine said about these verses. And these verses, just to, just to make an emphasis, these verses are meant to give us comfort are meant to give us comfort and encouragement uh, more than any other thing. Because when you look at Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, what, God, what, what Paul says, the all things cooperate for the good of those who love Jesus, right? I'm just paraphrasing. So these verses together are meant to give us comfort and encouragement in our walk with Christ, with the up and downs of life, we're supposed to read verse like this and be encouraged in the fact that God will bring our salvation, our redemption to the end. We we'll walk through the storms and difficulties of life and we will finish the race. And look what Augustine says. God elected believers in order that they might believe, not because they already believed. And uh, I'm learning to um, not love, but to appreciate Augustine's theology in the fourth century. As I've been studying about him, and uh, we see clearly um, how he talked about this the sovereign of God in a, such a, 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 it's almost tangible way. Like, he, he talks about these things in, in a way that it makes us appreciate more. This concept of grace, which is not only a concept, but a true reality. In God's grace, keep the believer from the start to finish, like I said. Thinking about this grace-keeping power of God, look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are, I'm reading and sharing with you some passages and as we believe in, in the Scriptures as the infallible Word of God, I wanted to read a verse like this and take a moment in your life to think about it. Just only read this in an intellectual sense, but allow your soul to meditate on passages like this in a clear, in, in a simple principle for Interpreting the scripture is to take this verse like this literally. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If a passage like this, don't allow it to appreciate your, your freedom and the work of the cross more deeply. And to be thankful for the salvation and this wonderful gift that God has given to you, I do not know what will. 
friends, when you think about the scriptures, one of the most important things that we need to understand is the scriptures are meant for us to meditate on it. To take time to ponder these words and ask, what does this mean for me? It means that the work that God started in me, He will bring it to completion. Not because I'm good or where I deserve it. My friends, regardless of how long have you been a Christian, for how long have you been a Christian, how weak you might perceive yourself spiritually, or if you are in your first steps in your Christian walk, if you turn from your sins and genuinely believed in Jesus and His gospel, rest assured that this is the work of God in you, salvation. And he, will bring it in, and he will bring you into maturity. Greater understanding of these doctrines. And more importantly, He will bring you by hand safely into His kingdom. Because no one can undo what God has already done. And He secured our salvation in the person of Christ. And we take appropriate, we, 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 we take possession or we take appropriation of this, not by force, but by faith, not by the strength of my arms or intellectual capacity, whatever it might be, but by faith alone. That's why it's for all people, not just for the nobles and, and, and kings. But for all of us, even a child can understand the concept of grace, being saved by grace through faith. Now, with this, I conclude.